Welcome to episode 26 of the Search with Candor podcast, recorded on Friday, 26th of September 2019. My name is Mark Williams Cook, and today I have a special episode where I'm joined with Tom Hachewski. Hello. And today we're going to be talking all about UX user experience. Okay, today is a is a special episode, as I said, because Tom is actually the first external guest that we've had on the show before so welcome Tom and I've got to say a big thank you to Tom actually for two reasons so one um, he's been kind enough to come in early before work to record this podcast because we normally do it in the afternoon when we've all woken up and I know Tom was saying like me he's kind of a night owl so firstly thank you for that Tom. It's been a struggle it's only <laughs> it's only quarter past eight but I feel like this is this is just too early it's ridiculous. <laughs> And secondly, unbeknownst probably to everyone else, Tom did actually record episode minus two with me, which was before really we got this podcast going and I knew what I wanted to do with it. Um, Tom was kind enough to basically come in and talk to me for like half an hour, an hour about UX stuff. And I never published it because we weren't quite there with what we wanted to do. Just, just read. <laughs> so thank you for coming back again, despite being burnt by me the first time round. <laughs> it's okay. It's a pleasure. So the reason I've got Tom uh, here today, and I'll, I'll, I'll let you know more about him in a moment, is that UX, user experience, is a topic that over the last 12 months, 24 months, has come more into the lexicon of people doing SEO as Google really has improved how it's ranking sites by looking at the experience users are having. So specifically, and I don't know if you if you know about these things as well, Tom, specifically, so we're looking at things like site speed came up a few years ago as something Google started talking about saying, hey, this is this is an important thing. People prefer, shockingly, websites that load quickly. And then Google started saying that if your site works on a mobile phone, i.e. it's mobile friendly, that's a thing we're going to include with search rankings. And then we've had other things like um, HTTPS um, is, a, is a ranking factor. And more recently, Google said they are going to penalize sites that, you know, have those pop-ups of sign up to our newsletter as soon as you land on the site. They take up the whole screen. They block all the content. Um, that's something Google said that they're going to penalize sites for. And all of these things really are reflecting the user experience. And as SEOs, it's a very uh, cross-discipline um, I won't call it a science, I'll call it an art, maybe. <laughs> I think science will be pushing it. And we have to kind of turn our hand to various different specialisms. And I do feel as an industry, sometimes user experience is something we approach in a bit of a piecemeal fashion. So it will be, we'll look at a site and we'll think, okay, how fast is it? Is it secure? And oh no, it's got a pop-up. I should, I should get rid of that. So we're tackling it from... The, the tail end, if you like, of user experience, rather than maybe 
going to the other side of the fence and saying, okay, start from the beginning. How can we make this as, as good as possible? Which is why you're here, essentially, to tell us how we can approach that. So your your background, um, do, do you want to tell us a little bit about your background? So at the moment, uh, Tom is director of an agency. Is it agency the right word? Yeah, the, so. yeah the user story, uh, which is all about helping businesses make better decisions for their digital products. Yeah. That's, that's a fair intro. Yeah, I think um, that says it in a nutshell. So um, um, we, we kind of work in two um, main fields, really. So one would be uh, quite a large e-commerce or retail-based site where there's a pretty clear path to actually try and accomplish a main thing. So, you know, you might be trying to, you know, get people to buy something online or fill out some sort of form. Um, and we help those companies to identify how users do that stuff and then do it better and make it easier for them, uh, which I guess in some ways you would call conversion rate optimization. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of thing. Um, but actually it works much wider than that as well because it can come, you know, you can start looking at things like navigation pathways and you can look at, um, you know, understanding product ranges and it goes much, much wider than just conversion rate optimization. But that's one side. And then the other half of what we do is actually product design. So we work with businesses that have some sort of like software as a service application. So something where it's likely people are going to come back and keep using it every day. It's like a, you know, some sort of online app. Um, and we help companies to build those. Uh, we're not developers, we are just designers, and we're very much user-centered researchers. Um, and my background is a, is a bit of a weird hybrid, really. So before I did this, I've uh, helped to run a more traditional digital agency, but then I also came from client side, where I think the role was, it was kind of a UX role, but it wasn't really called that because they, they didn't really exist back right. then. Um, but it's a, it was a weird hybrid of development, design and research. And I actually did run SEO for the for the company at the time. And really? I, I didn't yeah, know that. Back so this, in the day, yeah. this was the e-com marketing yes. analyst role you had? Yeah, back at Virgin Money. Yeah, so okay. this is this is going way back. Um, yeah, I used to run SEO and um, also, you know, all sorts of different things there because the team was very, very small. Most companies at the time would have a really small team of people who did everything around digital, which... It's quite lucky for people, you know, who, who were client side at that time, I think, because you've gathered lots of knowledge about lots of different things, which is very handy for a UXer, as we're about to find out. So is this how you, how, well, how did you end up then? So you, you said you worked in this very diverse e-com marketing analyst role with all sorts of hats, a wardrobe of hats, yeah. and then you went to a more traditional agency where you were head of web and yeah. you kind of got involved in more development as well. Is that right? Yeah. Um, yeah, we were very kind of development focused and we were building some quite interesting campaigns and interesting websites for people. Um, I think the reason I started the user story was because I realized that nobody really does it the way we do it. And user-centered design is still quite rare, um, particularly amongst SME businesses, that sort of size business. Um, it's, it's still quite rare. And even in product design, when you're building a new product, people don't seem to, to follow a user-centered design process. Um, so we're actually quite unique, I think, in, in some of the things we do and some of the research we do, uh, which, is, which is nice for us because it means we've carved ourselves a nice little market for ourselves, really. Um, yeah, and it's it's one of those things that's a bit. Um, it's I, I find it quite surprising that people don't do more research and more user centered design because it is so effective. Because you just have this, 
if you have this better relationship with your customers, you understand them better, you can just make things better for them, which makes things better for you. And it's just, it feels like we, we like to take lots of shortcuts and perhaps that's why that's is not something that lots of people do. I believe in the industry they're called low-hanging fruit. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> so let's start with basics. How would you define user experience? Because it's a term, I think I, I think I know what it is, but I've, I've heard it used in many different ways. So if I said to you, look, we need some help with our UX, what does that mean to you? So we, we hear a lot of the time people say, uh, can you help us by doing the UX on this thing? Or can you just do some, do some UX to this? Or this is the UX bit of this website's kind of development. Um, yeah, that's not, that's not how it works. So user experience is exactly that. It is what the user experiences when they are doing something. So it could be what they see, what they hear, what they, what they physically do. Um, I guess the other part of that is also what they feel. So part of the user experience is how you feel when you are engaging with a business or with a website or some sort of experience. Um, so it's it's a little bit of emotion and it's a little bit of you know the five senses, but it's also can I actually do the things I need to do? So um, is this thing that's presented to me is the way that I interface with this business or this service is it effective? Is it something that I feel I have control over? Is it something I feel um, you know I I actually understand and I I know what's available, what's not available. I know where the limitations of this thing are. So it's it's a really really big sort of target actually user experience and it covers a lot of ground um yeah i think in the industry there tends to be this this really strange kind of um way of looking at ux as a just a part of the process um we see it as the whole process when you're actually designing something it should be something that you're considering throughout your entire development design seo ppc advertising whatever process it should be what is this user going to experience when they are interacting with us so we we've mentioned user-centered design before as an approach to when we're building something and i'm gonna steer this conversation in context at least towards web-based stuff rather than digital products is there so i'm thinking about here smes um looking at their site thinking about their business and the user experience and thinking are there many ways they could start to be proactive about this without going back to the drawing board and pulling everything down and redesigning everything and and what does that look like so obviously you've got the approach of okay we're we're going to redesign everything let's start with this user-centered approach which we'll talk more about in a minute but if okay, I'm invested in my website, my infrastructure, my stack, and I'm up to my eyeballs in technical debt, and I would like to improve things. Is there a top-down way I can start? So that's a great question, and uh, it leads into something that we always tell our clients when they're about to throw everything out and rebuild, because that tends to be the way that most businesses work, is they have a website for three years and they go, it's really old now and we want a new (laughs) one. Um, which is, yeah, if it's a car, that's fine. You've had it for a few years, you want to get a new one, totally, that's fine. The difference is you can't really upgrade your car. When you've got your car, it's a car. You've got it for three years and you're stuck with it. With a website, you can actually improve it over time in sort of little bits here and there. Um, So we, we actually never recommend, unless you're doing something major to your site or architecture, um, you know, if you're replatforming and you're moving, you know, let's say from Magento to Shopify or something like that, 
unless you're doing that sort of work, there is no need to completely throw everything out at all, and we would never recommend it. The reason is, actually, that you're throwing all of your learnings away. You've built something, and you should have learnt how that thing operates. You should have learnt how users are actually interacting with it. You've got a huge opportunity to understand how users are interacting with your business, and you're about to throw all of that away and then blindly create something brand new. So it's actually one of the worst things you can you can do, really. Um, sorry to all of the people that design and build websites for people for a living, but that is the, the frank reality of it, actually, is that you will get a better um, result if you work with your agencies to make incremental changes over time. You can still have a brand new website, but it might take you a few months to get there mm. because you're actually tweaking and changing over time. So it's actually much better to just start talking to people. So the first thing we would want to do is do some research, um, have some interviews with people. I think the first thing that most people do is is look at your quantitative data, so things like your Google Analytics and um, you know traffic-based stuff. So they look at the big numbers and they want to see where people are coming in and they want to see if they can make those numbers grow. I think that's fine, but I think that one of the things that that limits actually is some of the context and it also makes you much more, it, it just makes you numbers focused. Whereas actually, if you're trying to improve the user's experience, you want to go out and talk to those people and see what they like and what they don't like about your service. You want to watch them as they try and use it so that you can identify problems with it. Um, so the first step is always getting out and talking to people. So that, interest, that opens up quite a few interesting threads there. And um, I think... Anyone doing SEO listening will definitely be able to relate to the paradigm of someone saying, okay, we've done the site now. If you can just add the SEO on top, that yeah, would be, that would be great. Yeah. Um, and ideally, all these things happen as we're going through a process. In reality, we know that doesn't always, that doesn't always happen. One of the things I speak to a lot of clients about is the user experience, from my point of view, starting at the search engine. Mm-hmm. Um, because when website redesigns are discussed, I find a lot of the conversation tends to start at the homepage and people mm-hmm. are uh, talking about um, user stories and personas and what's happening when they when they land on the homepage. And then when actually we do look at the analytics, we'll find in, in most cases, less than 50% of the traffic actually begins their journey on the homepage because they've started their experience of I want to find something out, I want to do something, they do a search which then brings them directly to the place on the site or the app where they can do that thing. So I think it's always interesting, one, because it's it's our kind of job to make that first step and then um, try and get people to think, okay, this is this is their first experience maybe of your brand and they're stepping in at floor number three so we need to make sure they know at this stage still who you are and they've got all those touch points of and and things they need to get them through through the process. So and um, when we look at sites from an SEO point of view and we do audits and things like that, there are common threads that appear. So there's things that um, I know are going to crop up regularly. Is there anything like that in terms of user experience? So common things when you are helping clients that regularly crop up that 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 you can help them fix or improve? Yeah, um, there always are. So our process always stays the same. So we always do things in a sort of double diamond 
um, fashion to the Design Council use something called the Double Diamond, which is their method for creating good design. Um, so, so we talk, talk a bit, bit more about that first. Which is, well, it's, it's a method of um, uh, essentially co- diverging and converging thinking. So the idea being that you go out and discover lots and lots of things, and then you hone in your thinking so that you can find one specific problem you want to solve. And then you go out and look at lots of different solutions, and you come back in to solve that solution in a specific way, and you hone in your your solution. So the actual way that you do it doesn't change. The things that we find always change. There are a couple of things that I would say we always tend to um, try and look at first, particularly in things like retail and e-commerce. First one is navigation, and that's not just about like, you know what your row of links looks like at the top. It's about how people actually navigate through the site as a whole. So the first thing you want to look at is your primary nav and make sure that people understand what the product range is. How, if there is no search, for example, how would they actually go around and browse the website? Can they find a specific product just by looking through your categories? If you've named your categories weird kind of internal product names, it's likely they're not going to be able to be found by someone who's never seen your your product before. Um, so, you know, keeping nice, open, clear language that everybody would understand is a really good approach. Um, we look at things like breadcrumb, breadcrumb and, and sidebar navigation. And, you know, when you're in a site deep and you've entered in that, that sort of third level, um, that I still know where I am, I still know what my options are, I still know what else is available to me. Uh, what's my next step is always one that so many businesses miss, whether it's the homepage, whether it's part of a checkout flow, or whether it's actually on a, on a product page or a, or a blog post. I still, I should know what my next step is. When I've done the thing that I'm doing here, how do I get out? How do I do the next thing? Um, and I think it's, it's likely actually that this is probably quite important to SEOs as well, because one of your focuses should be, how do I get people onto this site? Sure. But then when they're there, how do I give them a rich experience? How do I make sure that they stay here? And that I tell Google, look, actually, we've taken care of this, this customer now, um, and they're having a good experience. So actually, one of the best ways you can do that is navigation, make sure that they know where they're going and, and what's next. Um, so that's definitely key. Um, I think we also find that um, I think the biggest kind of problem that most sites have is is a consistent feel across every page. Um, so actually, if I do enter again at that third level that I still I understand that this is still the same place, I understand where it fits in the wider context of the site. Um, and that's something actually that particularly on some of the newer um, sort of, uh, you know, built online architecture. So things like Shopify and things do actually quite well because they're themed and because they they tend to just have a consistent look and feel throughout the whole um, sort of template, if you like. It makes it quite easy to have that same feel across the whole site. It's really important actually for trust. So when customers come into a, a site at any point, they can trust that they're in a nice secure place. They trust that they've hit something that looks pretty pretty good and that when they do eventually hit the logo or the home button that they feel like they're they're in this sort of consistent site and architecture that does mirror a lot of the discussions we we have um, especially around things like main nav Um, we were talking to an e-commerce client the other day about how part of the function of the main navigation can be for the user discovery of what they actually sell on the site so we were showing on a, on a hover over and it was showing kind of the main categories of all the products they sell and seeing users were using this menu as not just for navigation, but as a tool to 
what is on this site because I don't know what this brand is. What do they sell? Um, And it was particularly important because in almost all cases, most sites I see, their internal search sucks. Yeah, Um, It's a terrible experience. And again, when we watch users, sometimes they will go back to Google, type the name of the website and then what they're looking for rather than use the on-site search. So that's a really interesting uh, conversation. And people, I think, realize how difficult search actually is then when they're trying to say, okay, someone's searching for this on our site, but then we've got to work out, are they searching for the product or an article about that product? Yeah. And then which variation do we do we rank? And it becomes really difficult without any other context. So, and two things on that really quickly. So the first one is about on-site search. Normally when we're doing research, we don't even test on-site search because it's so obvious when your search is bad that there's no point in us testing it. Because it's either a really good search and you can type something and you find what you need and you've got everything that's related to it. So if you type in a product name, you've got here's the product and here's our product range and here's some articles about that product and how it works. That's great. If it just doesn't work, it's so, so obvious. The other thing I'd say is it's even more important to have a good navigational structure on mobile because it's really, really hard most of the time when you're an e-commerce site, particularly one that sells a broad range of stuff to get across your product range. And in particular, um, look at your homepage. And what we normally suggest, and there's lots of research around this actually, is on the homepage on a mobile site, try and list out your product range on that homepage. So rather than having it hidden in a navigation system, show it on the page. So when someone arrives, they can very quickly flick down that page and just see, right, okay, I get what this brand does and I, I understand what kind of products I can find here or what, you know, I understand what this site is and I know what I can do so I think this really aligns to there was a really excellent talk by a Google engineer called Paul Ha and I can't remember if this was last year or the year before at SMX so Paul did a talk on how Google ranks websites from an engineer's perspective and it was fascinating because Google rarely gets engineers to actually talk about this stuff and the main takeaway we got from this was as an internal metric of success what Google's doing to say are we doing a good job is they use time to result Mm. so they are measuring how long it takes a user to do a search to finding the thing that they want Um, and so when you're talking about mobile e-commerce sites listing what they sell as soon as people land that to me really slots in with this because it's all about making this path of least resistance and just giving people what they want as quickly as possible with no other clicks no loading no hidden stuff just this is what we think they want just put it in front of their face Mm. Um, and the other thing I found really interesting and It was kind of vague advice given by Google, but they started talking this year around um, some of the signals they're using, like uh, they gave an example of the HTTPS, like the site, uh, the making site secure. They said this can be a a thing that decides that on the fence when two two sites are otherwise kind of equal, if one's secure, we'll rank that that one above. And the other thing they mentioned is if if you're getting your site to uh, struggle, uh, sorry, your site's struggling to rank, having other people look at it and getting feedback from them as to whether it looks old 
or just trustworthy. And I find that really interesting because we know, um, you know, Google uses all kinds of AI to, and machine learning to analyze uh, sites. And to me, that suggests that maybe they're starting to work out on an algorithmic level what people are perceiving as, oh, this website doesn't look trustworthy. I don't trust that lens flare and that under construction GIF and the fact it's not secure and this page is broken and all the little signals that people instinctively pick up on as you become a, you know, because as you use the web over the years, you develop, like with anything, like, like a sixth sense for, you know, this is good, this is bad, this is trustworthy, this isn't. Um, and all of that's basically the outline to what you're what you're talking about right yeah absolutely um so you know google's been running for what 15 years they've got a lot of data now they they are clearly they're looking at billions of data points every uh, probably every month on how people are interacting with stuff what people are looking at you know huge huge numbers of metrics and if you think about the ai that they're they're building i mean most of their company now it is just an ai company that's what they do um, I would not be surprised if they have a fairly good view of what they think is a trustworthy site compared to a non-trustworthy site. Um, we, as business owners running SMEs with several thousand data points a month, do not have the luxury of understanding in a data sense what is trustworthy and what isn't. So that's why research is important. That's why going out and speaking to people is so important. That's, that is the way that we get that data. Um, but I do find it really interesting. And I think, I, I mean, clearly that's why Google are trying to bring stuff out into the search directly rather than sending people off to web pages. You know, they want to get those those time to result right the way down to as soon as I've typed in a word, Google has presented me with the thing that I need in yeah. the way I need it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, like I say, they have that luxury we don't. So. And that's that's kind of the, the basis of why I want to talk to you, which is that if if you approach user experience even in the context of seo as here are the things i know google is measuring i'm going to try and optimize them you are still probably not going to rank as well as if you do the full user-centered design and maybe speak to someone like you and actually do the best possible job because you're going to be ticking all these other boxes that you probably weren't aware are being measured or that again in context with those other things Give you a give you a better overall impression, better better ranking. Yeah, sure. Um, while I'm kind of talking about sometimes how bad a job SEOs do of UX, and <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the discussions I commonly get into is uh, so SEOs tend to pick up on something like bounce rate as a metric for measuring user experience, and I always argue against this uh, because so for for those that maybe haven't encountered it before bounce rate is when someone lands on your web page and they leave without doing anything else so they're not clicking on anything else uh, they're not interacting with anything on the site it's not necessarily a time thing so if someone went to, uh, from google to your site and they spent five minutes staring at the page and then they left that's still a a bounce and there are, there's always discussion around, oh, you know, we're trying to lower my bounce rate. But again, taking the user experience in context with the search journey, if I'm doing um, a search such as, you know, I've got some appliance and I Google what's the battery life of this, and that lands me on that product page, which tells me the battery life is three and a half hours, and I'm like, cool, and then I leave. 
my user experience has been perfect because I've got that information very quickly. Looking at the web page analytics, it would say my bounce rate is 100%. Therefore, it's a terrible way without context to measure how good the user experience is. So my question to you is, how do you measure user experience? So when you start out and I say, Tom, like obviously something's wrong because people aren't doing what I want them to do on my site. Um, we go through a process with you. How, what would we look at measuring before and after to, to work out if things are, if things are improving? Uh, that is a great and very difficult question <laughs> to answer. Um, the, I suppose the answer in this and many other instances will be, it depends. That's the SEO cop-out Which is, which is <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's also the UX cop-out. Um, so it entirely depends on what you're trying to achieve. I yeah. think that's, a, that's actually a really nice example because the ultimate user experience in that sense would be, I ask Google through either my laptop or a smart device in my home, what's the battery life of my thing? And it says three and a half hours. That, that's the ultimate Yes. Experience. I haven't even gone to the site. I haven't even had to. Unless they can just beam it into my head when I think. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just somehow know the information before I know I need it. Um, so I, I, I guess, yeah, which which is what Google's trying to get to, right? By bringing all that stuff out into search results and, and so on and so forth. Um, the things we look at, though, entirely depend on what it is you are actually trying to achieve. I think that there's a there's a mix though between what we're talking about, which is metrics, and what what else you can measure within UX. So most things that you would tend to cover as an SEO or someone that looks at analytics or anything else that's much more quantitative based, so things that are numbers, essentially numbers based, um, tend to be things like that. So they are bounce rates, number of people on pages, conversion rates. Um, you might look at you know, it's, you know whether, whether people are actually picking up on other product, uh, products as they go through, uh, so things like upsells and bits and pieces like that. So I think if you're an e-com site, those sorts of things tend to still be your metrics because you you just are numbers focused. If you're a good e-com site, if you're a good retail site, chances are you're going to have to have those numbers and you're going to be wanting to increase them. Um, to measure the experience though, I mean, it's a really hard question because humans don't necessarily measure their experiences in a finite way. So... You know, when you, so there's pastries on the table here. When you went and got those pastries, how, how would you rate your experience when you bought those pastries? Um, 7.2 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I mean, I'm asking the wrong person yeah, no, here, aren't I really? No, no, I, I fully, I fully get what you mean. Yeah, so there's a million ways I can answer that from how clean the store was to how long it took me to got served to yeah. what that I had to put them in a plastic bag, which annoyed me. Yeah. So there's a million, yeah, there's a million different ways I could answer that. But the interesting thing is, if I were to just slightly change the question to how did you feel that transaction went, then you eliminate numbers. Because you can't answer that with, well, I felt about three. Because it doesn't it doesn't work that way. So, you know, exactly that. You can say, well, the cleanliness of the store was about eight out of ten. And that's a relative term because you can compare it to other times when the store was less clean or more clean. Um, you could talk about the time it took you to go around the store or the time it took for you to find a product. They're all very qualitative terms. They're all numbers focused. But there's more to your experience than just those numbers because those numbers could still be really high and you come out going, oh, I just felt a bit crap about what's just happened. And you might not be able to put your finger on it, but you, there's just something intangible about it. Perhaps you didn't feel safe when you are in the store. You wouldn't rate that necessarily, but you, you know, 
perhaps there was something else going on in the store, or something in your mind which changed your experience. Those aren't things we can really measure with numbers, but that's why we go out and do that that qualitative research. That's when we go out and talk to people, we understand their experience on a more contextual basis. Um, the way we measure that really is is not in numbers. So when we're doing uh, you know product design for a company on an ongoing basis, we might be building a product um, for a you know a specific target market. The way that we report those isn't with numbers at all. It's here are the sorts of things we're finding out. Here are what we think the value that your product is providing. Um, here's where we think you should be concentrating next. Uh, this is what customers are telling us their problems are and and the challenges that they're having, not just with your product, but around that product, the context of what they're using that product in. Um, so it's much more detail-oriented, I think, when it comes to UX. And that's why, actually, it's such, a, it's such a difficult thing to do. I think to be a very good UX professional, because you're working in these really abstract terms, is quite a hard thing to do. It's almost like humans are complicated. It is. <laughs> so as I was leading you down the garden path there a little with that question. And the, I think the answer you've given highlights that if you try and put everything on a spreadsheet, and this is a conversation I had um, with a potential client last week, is that you can miss things that you know, for instance, need to be done because you're trying to satisfy a metric that doesn't encompass the whole picture. Yeah. Um, so this was, in my example, was we were trying to do some forecasts for a campaign and there were some things that we could see through common sense that everyone in the room agreed needed to be done. However, because of the complexity of the business model, it was just about impossible to to justify that on a spreadsheet without just making stuff up, which yeah. obviously no one wants to do. And at this point, I said to him, look, I think everyone knows we need to do this. I think we just have to do this yeah. um, and then see what the impact is. And I appreciate with, especially when you're dealing essentially at that, exact point where you've got the human interacting with the, the product there's so much going on there that you have to accept that that more qualitative speaking term emotional way of looking at it is the only way you're going to be able to to work on it effectively rather than trying to say we're looking at bounce rate we're looking at time on site and trying to affect these metrics certainly and sometimes things that you make are not going to have a direct impact on numbers not you know if you change something on a site that I don't know, you know, solves a specific problem for a certain type of user, you might find that your bounce rate doesn't change, and, and the number of people going through a, an experience doesn't change. Those things are are actually changing the intangibles, which over time will give you a more trustworthy product, or it will give you a set of users that just love using your product just slightly more, which over time will have an impact. It's really hard to measure those things, but it's still really important stuff. One of the things we we um, I think used to struggle with is a lot of clients would say, well, why would I build these things that you've suggested I do when I know there's this set of things that will literally, you know, we, we think could increase the conversion rate. And I think that is a really tricky thing to get, get around, actually, um, which is why now most of the suggestions that we make, regardless of whether they are quantitative, kind of, we think this will increase your conversion rate, or qualitative, we think this will give users better experience, are just recommended in the same way, and that's value. So which of these things do we think, which of these changes do we think, is going to be more valuable and how much effort is going to take that so actually you get to the low hanging fruit that way but actually it's not just about your numbers it can also be about what is just going to make people's experience slightly nicer 
and maybe make them feel like they can come back a bit more often and they can have a more a more sort of um, engaging experience with us. And it's fascinating. Time time is flying on. I'm having a good time. I can see we're already kind of post 30 minutes here. Oh, wow. um, I have to ask you, um, I know you're by nature quite a privacy advocate. Um, and I have to ask you, there's been lots of changes in the web over the last few years with laws, legislation, GDPR. Uh, what's your opinion on the cookie law and sort of protecting users' privacy that way and the pop-ups that now appear on every single mm. website that we go to? I'm really pleased you've asked me this. Um, I So, yes, I'm a privacy advocate, so I'm a member of the Open Rights Group. I used to run the Open Rights Group chapter here in Norwich. Um, so I'm, I'm uh, all for people understanding what their digital rights are, uh, understanding how to protect their data, all that kind of stuff, and, and making sure that we share data in a responsible way and that, you know, just the nonsense that we've seen over the last few years comes to a stop because it's ridiculous. Um so, yeah, there's two kind of separate things there, but actually I think the effect of the changes recently has been the same. The cookie law was the first one, the GDPR stuff was the second. Cookie law, actually, if you look at what it's done, I think has had the worst effect it could possibly have had. I think the, the sentiment behind the change in the law is sound. Like, actually, yes, we should be telling people how their data is going to be used, what we're storing on their machine, um, and why we're storing that stuff. That, in principle, sounds great. I'm all for that. Lovely. Um, the problem is, if you show someone a pop-up on every single website they go to, where the text is always slightly different, it's in a different place every time, um, and it becomes an annoyance because I'm just trying to complete an experience, what you're doing is, well, first of all, you're making everyone just have a really bad experience online. So that's the first thing. It's not great. Um, but the second thing is, because the first thing you do is just go, oh, whatever, just hit the whatever, I think one of them, I, I can't remember which site it was, I was on the other day, it might be Mashable or something, literally has it a is whatever. Is it, it is Mashable, yeah. It has it says, a whatever, yeah, whatever. button. <laughs> Just whatever, I don't care, go away. The problem is, how informed are we now, as a public, of what are, what's happening to our data? They could put anything in those co- cookie, oh, you said cocky, oh, I did, um, uh, in those cookie policies, they could put anything in those, and we would not read it now, because the first thing you want to do is get rid of it. So if anything, it's made it worse. It has made the whole problem worse. So I, I think, unfortunately, it's had completely the opposite effect of what it was trying to do. Similarly with GDPR, actually, I think GDPR hasn't had the impact that I, I think it, they were expecting it to. And it hasn't really made anything safer or better. We're still seeing people breach GDPR on a daily basis uh, and nothing's really happening because of it. I still get spammed by companies that add me to mailing lists with no consent. Um Unfortunately, the law is just not clear. If you look at the seven uh, methods by which you can add people to a mailing list, for example, you know, or, or collect personal data, one of those is legitimate business interests. Well, what does that mean? I mean, it could be anything. Well, my, my legitimate business is spamming the crap out of everyone. So <laughs> I've legitimately added you to my list. So that's like, my business. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, you know, I don't really understand how we're, we're expected to identify and work within the law if no one understands the bloody thing in the first place. So I, I think I love the sentiment behind these things. I love the fact that particularly the EU, because both of these things have come out of the EU. So all these countries are working together as a whole to try and solve this problem, which is great. And I think the sentiment is there. We're all trying to do the right thing. But I think very clearly it's been implemented, possibly not by the most technical people in those countries, which is not the greatest start anyway. Um, 
but also they've not really looked at what the impact of websites working in the way to try and comply with the law has actually changed people's experiences. Um, yeah, good idea, bad implementation. I'm so pleased I asked you that. <laughs> you were like you were, you had that loaded up. Oh, I was <laughs> ready for that. It was almost that was... cathartic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, not many people ask me that for, for obvious reasons. <laughs> <laughs> so to round this off. Um, because we're coming to the end now, can you summarise in context of people that are doing digital marketing, what should they be thinking about? What should be they be going to speak to their managers, bosses, owners about in terms of UX to make their websites do a better job? Where should they start? Um, if you're not talking to customers, talk to customers. That's the first thing you should be doing. So, um, you know, there's all sorts of people who will suggest running audits or doing usability testing or starting some sort of crow work or whatever. Um, the chances are, particularly for running in retail or e-com, uh, you're going to be a numbers focused business and you need to get some more context. Talk to customers. And it's not just asking opinions. So, the, the you know, yes, it's quite useful to see what people think of your product, but it's really, really hard to get an accurate picture of um, you know how they're how they're genuinely feeling about a product, or whether it's going to change their behaviours. Um, you know, when when we do our research, we look at attitude and behaviour separately. And you know, attitude is fine. That's that's the survey based stuff. What do you think of our products? And you know, on a scale of one to ten, um, which is another thing I could go into for another half an hour, but I won't. Um, but yeah, so you know, that's that's fine, and that's one thing, and it gives you a sentiment. But what it doesn't give you is the behaviours. People will always talk about something very differently to what they would actually do when that thing is put in front of them. So ideally you want to talk to those customers but you want to be observing as they do stuff. So if that's the if that's the only thing you do, go out, talk to customers, ask them to try and do something on your website and just watch them try and do it. That is the the best place to start. Brilliant. Tom, thank you so much for taking the time this morning before work to right. come in and be on the show. I really appreciate it. Will this one actually be on the show this time? This one will go out on Monday. <laughs> yes, I promise you. So there should be people listening to this now on Monday. That's kind of a weird thing to say. Time yes. travel. Time travel. <laughs> um, thank you so much, Tom. Really appreciate it. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Again, I'm Mark Williams-Cook. I'll be back in one week on Monday, the 16th of September next time. You can get all of the write-up transcription notes links from today's show at search.withcanda.co.uk. So if you've been interested in what me and Tom have been talking about today, you can see links to the user story and some of the things we've been talking about today. Otherwise, have a great week and hopefully you'll tune in in a week's time.